Restaurant Unstoppable, episode 624 with Chef Michael Clody. Always keep your mind open. Again, when you say, I don't like this, you just closed your doors. If you say, I don't like mushrooms, whoa. How can you say that? You can have mushrooms in the slimy form as just being steamed, but you can have them in the crispy, crunchy form where it's almost a steak. Tastes like a steak. You almost can't differentiate. And you can have so many different ways. So don't close yourself off to something new. Are you ready for it factors, success stories, failures, and bombs of restaurant industry knowledge? Then join Eric Cacciatore and today's incredible guest as they share what it takes to become unstoppable. Here is a statistic for you. 89% of all guests will research a restaurant online before dining out. So you've got to start thinking about how you can extend your in-house hospitality and attention to detail to the online world. Bento Box is a great place to start. They will develop a restaurant website that not only leaves lasting impressions with your guests, but also provides hospitality-focused tools that are proven to drive revenue online and guests into your restaurant. Sign up today at Get bento.com slash unstoppable and save up to $1,500 on initial setup for your new restaurant website. Get on it. I'm sure you've heard of Revel, but have you heard of the Revel Advantage? It is the payment processing solution that seamlessly integrates into your Revel point of sale and platform to create a complete system tailored to your business needs. Revel manages both your POS and your payments with integrated software, hardware, and credit card processing to save you time and money so you can focus on your business. Learn more at revelsystems.com slash un. Unstoppable. With excitement, allow me to introduce to you today's guest, Chef Michael Clody. Michael, my man, are you feeling unstoppable today? Oh, sure. Unstoppable <laughs> and nowhere to go, you know? Yes, let's get into this thing. So, born, raised, and trained in Switzerland, Chef Clody moved to the United States to enrich his classical French cooking background with other cultures. Before making the move to Vermont, Clody absorbed experience from New York City's four-star Les Pinais to upcountry comfort food in Hawaii, back to New York City's Manhattan as Chef de Cuisine uh, in the St. Regis Hotel. Uh, in pursuit of work-life balance in 2002, Clody left the big city to open Michael's on the Hill restaurant in Waterbury, Vermont. Michael's on the Hill is going strong to this day, almost 18 years later. I uh, cannot wait to dive into your story, your values, your your mission. But let's get that motivational, inspirational ball rolling with a success quote or mantra what do you got for us don't take yourself too serious don't take yourself too serious dive into that all right well you know um started in this business as a dishwasher trying to make some extra money very very young still you know being under parenthood from home you went into the restaurant business so the kitchen chef becomes your father and there's i'm sure a mother there somewhere in there too and uh, you grow into the business. And for me, getting into the restaurant business, food was an aspect of it, definitely. But it was also the environment that I was in. So the environment fit me perfectly. It was like coming from home. I was a loud child. Uh, I was always willing to give orders. I was willing to receive orders. But um, the environment that I was in uh, was exactly what I can, I can be loud. I, I'm going to get punished to be loud. I mean, we still had punishments for that. <laughs> Actually, I ended up in this is a huge tilt skillet. 
they fill up with water, and then they all of a sudden the kitchen chef disappears because you can't have management there, right? The kitchen doors close, they grab you, they throw you in the in this huge pot of water. Sometimes they're nice and warm it up a little bit for you. And they put eggs on you and all that, and then you got to go take a shower afterwards. But that's the punishment of being too loud to be too whatever. So no, I'm, not, I'm not into corporal punishment. But where I ended up is it's a lot of stories, a lot of things that made me who I am now. And I also um, learned the difference between understanding and accepting. So I felt I was accepted in the kitchen. Um, to understand someone is almost... Uh, I would say, I wouldn't say an insult, but for me to say that I understand certain groups of people, I can, will never understand. I'm accepting it. I'm accepting you for who you are. I may not believe in the same things as you do, but I'm accepting for who you are. It's much harder than understanding. We can always be like, well, you have to convince me and understand you. You need to convince me to see your side. Well, there's no way that I can see certain sides. It's just almost impossible. I've never been in that. If this is poor, being black, being a woman, being certain things, I never really was. So I can't say I understand you, what you're going through. It's more like I accept you. And with that comes I listen to you. And for me, so until now, it's what I'm saying. Like, don't take yourself too serious. Keep your mind open. Mm. So perfect example. I'm in New York. I'm in a four-star restaurant, right? I'm the rotisseur in Les Pinas. It's pretty much the top of the food chain for being a cook, right? You want to be the poissonier or the rotisseur in one of those four-star restaurants in New York. And then the dishwasher says to me, you know, one day I'm going to show you how to cook duck. And I'm like, that is awesome. Yeah, please. Now, it so happened to be that this guy, Chinese guy, um, doing dishes at the St. Regis Hotel. Well, the reason why he does the dishes at the St. Regis Hotel is because he needed health insurance. But he has a restaurant downtown in Chinatown. A full-on chef knows exactly what he's doing. So guess what? For my exit, you always stay in Les Pinas when you leave. You go somewhere for the dinner. Right, and these are and I'm dropping names. I hate when people drop names, but these are chefs that are now top of the line chefs. And we all went out because we're all just cooks in those days. And we went out to this Chinese restaurant, was basically a storefront with plastic furniture, like patio furniture, and it had the best black bean crab and the best Peking duck and the best like serious, real Chinese food that would make, you know, so. Don't judge the book from its cover because we love to do that because we yeah. need to do that. I put you in a box and I'm happy. Oh, you are this. Now I can put you in a box. Yeah. So the original uh, quote was don't take yourself too seriously. Right. And really what I'm getting from that is get out of your own head. Uh, we, we get so deep into our own head, uh, interpreting, uh, making us uh, just assumptions. Right. And we we whatever usually is in our own head isn't the reality of the situation. You got to be open minded. You You have to. Think about perspective, and really, you never know who's sitting right there from across mm-hmm. from you. So get out of your own head, and f- so I'm gonna I'm gonna say that again: get out of your own head and fill in the blank. Right. What should we do from there? Well, get out of your head and do understand that we are all ignorant. Yes. Okay. So ignorance is nothing else but maybe once in a while you need to just be surprised. Look to me. An epiphany, something fantastic. Wow, I didn't even know. And then maybe you owe somebody an apology because you could say something that was just. For, for yourself, you didn't even think about it, that this could hurt someone. Yeah. Now, I get it today. Everybody's so hypersensitive and everything else. Again, I hope that the, the opposite also doesn't take themselves so serious. But yeah. what I'm saying is what defines me is moldable. What defines me is today I'm this, but tomorrow I could learn something and be like, wow, I did just, this just actually changed my point of view. And you're not changing your point of view 180 degrees. Split you know, fractions of a view 
change it just a little bit yeah. that you're like, oh, I was so black and white. Oh, man, there's a huge gray zone out there. I want to compound off that that idea of just we're all ignorant. And what, I don't know about you, but the, what I realize, the more I learn, the more I realize I don't know anything, mm. right? So you get out there, you learn things, you learn things, you just realize the more you learn, you're just opening up mm. new doors. And yeah. it's, it's never ending. It's infinite uh, ignorance, right? right. <laughs> so... so- Right. So it's a perfect story for this. This is is something I I, I love to tell the story because it really doesn't really offend anybody. Well, I hope not. So I'm in the kitchen and uh, I can't find the word for snuff. And I'm saying, you know, the tobacco you put on your finger and you go, you know, and I'm looking at my dishwasher. I'm going like, what do you guys call that? Cocaine? No, no, yeah. No. And he goes... What do you mean, me? Like, what do you mean? What do you guys? What do you oh. mean, you guys? Because he thought that I was talking about, he comes from, he lives right down the street. He lives in a trailer park, right? I didn't know that he lives in a trailer park. He thought I'm talking down to him as in, hey, you should know this. And I'm going like, no, you as an American that yeah. speaks English, yeah. what do you call the tobacco you put on your, on your hand and then you snuff it in your nose? And then, it was funny because he got offended by that. So he owed him an apology. I'm like, dude. Had nothing to do with that. But these are the things that happen unknowingly. But when you hear then that somebody did get hurt from what you just said, can you seriously, that this is not sympathy, this is empathy. Empathy is totally different than sympathy. I can feel sympathy for somebody without understanding them, right? So for me to have empathy, I really need to start looking at them and accepting for who you actually are. And for him, he felt that I'm talking down to him as like, oh, this is not from one poor guy to another poor guy. You're talking, I'm talking down to you. Like, you should know. Right? I'm like, well, excuse me. That's, yeah. that's, oh. So the, the big thing I'm getting from this is just being open-minded to that perspective, mm. that everyone's perspective is different, and you have to keep that on the back of your mind. And I've been loving this conversation. We're just out of the gates. There's some, some great stuff you're dropping on us. But let's move forward into your career. Uh, when you got involved in hospitality, food and beverage, kitchens, take us to that point uh, in when you knew that this was going to be your path, that you were committed to it. Well, right. See, because then now... Uh, look, I was 12 years old. Um, my mother went back to be an overnight nurse. So um, she basically would come home at 7 o'clock in the morning, then she would go to sleep and usually wake up around like 1 o'clock. And by that point, I would come home from school in Switzerland. You go home for lunch and uh, had to make my own lunch. They realized that, hey, I need to learn a little bit more about food instead of just making hot dogs and that kind of stuff. So I started learning more about how to make, you know, I make an omelet, how to do this, how to cook pasta, how to make food. More like as a function to me to actually eat better. And then I realized that, hey, there's a whole restaurant thing out there. I need to be like some money. So my parents lived with the, the whole philosophy as we're never, never poor, but we always were – I mean, at some point, we had to grow our own vegetables. Well, had to. We'd grow our own vegetables so we could, you know, they, they could um, make the money work a little bit lo- a little further. Stretch so they would, they would give you what you needed. So I needed a bicycle to get to work so I could get a bicycle. But guess what? I am 12 years old. I want a mountain bike. And that was just the years when the mountain bikes came out in yeah. the early 80s. And um, so they're like, okay, well, a regular bicycle costs about 200 bucks. So if you want to have a $600 mountain bike, you've got to come up with the rest of the $400. Luxury costs money, right? So. Yeah. Um, I had to get a job and realized, and, and believe me, it was, it was quite an awakening when, you know, you're in school and you're like, oh, I'm going to be a rock star one day. I'm going to be a millionaire. I'm going to be, I'm going to be Arnold Schwarzenegger. I'm going to yeah. be like huge. And then you realize, no, I'll be put in a corner and I have to scrub dishes. I have to scrub other people's leftovers off a plate. I'm together with a whole lot of immigrants in Switzerland that I'm like, I can't understand. They don't understand me. They don't speak English. I'm like, wow. 
So I'm immersing myself in that. And I had a huge problem. I give my mother a lot of credit because there was days when I was, you know, in the morning and I threw up because I didn't want to go to work. And the patron of the place, the owner of the place said like, well, why don't you just quit? You can just not do it anymore. And I'm like, no, this is, this is not why would I want to stop doing this? This is a challenge to me. And I was what, 14 at the time, maybe. So you said you would throw up before going to work. Were you nervous? Were you just, was, was there? Oh, dude, I hated my life. Okay. Why? I hated my life because man, as I said, it's like, I come out of school and everybody tells you like, oh, this is a land of opportunity. Switzerland's the same thing. You know, it's like, oh, you come out and then. Um, and you realize like, no, you're not going to be a huge rock star. No, you're going to do dishes. And, and I'm like, wow, this is really, like hurts my ego. Right? It was this huge ego trip. It was like me an awakening of, no, man, you're not going to be this huge rock star. Or maybe you will be, but it's going to be way delayed now. <laughs> yeah. So they don't see my genius. You know what I mean? I'm a genius. I, I know all this stuff that <laughs> nobody can see me. So I'm doing all this work. And then all of a sudden, and you know, there was days where my father would walk in. Because this is a train station restaurant. So there's a lot of train station restaurants. Okay. And my dad would walk in. And I started crying because I was so embarrassed. And now I'm all of a sudden. It You're hit embarrassed me. that your dad walked that, in? That he walked in and he was, you know, he went to basically to the MIT of Switzerland. He was a machine engineer. In Switzerland, you've got to understand one thing. This is kind of the, the difference between America and Switzerland or any, any of these, um, how would you say that? I wouldn't say socialized countries, but yes, they are so and so, somewhat that is. So it's a good thing and a bad thing. So when you go to school, you make grades. Those grades reflect very quickly on who you, what you're good at. I was very good at geometrics, very good at math. I was very good at things that would set you up as being an engineer. So my career was set. They're like, okay, so you're going to go in the engineering industry, right? And I'm like, no, I want to go in the kitchen. And they're like, well, you're not going to succeed in that. I'm like, well, <laughs> but just thank God it's still Switzerland and not yeah. you know, Russia or whatever, where they're going to tell you, like, no, you are going yeah. to do that. But I would have a job. But I'm like, no, I'm going to go in the kitchen. So I was told you're not going to succeed. For me, when somebody tells me you're not going to succeed, it's more like a challenge like, well, okay, well, I need to learn how to succeed in it. I get it. You you put me for the challenge. But this challenge is can I accept what's going to come? Again, that dishwashing thing. Then all of a sudden it hit me. Why the heck am I so upset to do what I'm doing? Why don't I just do the best job I possibly can? So I started listening to everybody, anything. It opened up this whole thing where it's like first you've got to break yourself down. And in the old days in the kitchen, that used to be like that. It was actually planned. The military still does it. But it's like you break someone down to get rid of all that chunk, all that belief, all that thing that you think you know, and break it down until you think you're really, oh, you are just a piece of trash. You're just like this, this nothing. And then we built you back up. And we're going to build you into something that is a machine. And that's basically what I became. I became a kitchen machine. I took orders. I did never want to create. Not at that time. I was like, how, how dare me for being a creative personality. I need to learn how to make the best of the best. Just like I need to learn how to cook a steak perfectly, not how to change it, how to make this dish. If that's the chef and the sous chef's working on that. Same thing in Les Binas. I was hired within two weeks. Now, granted, Greg Koontz, who was the chef there, um, was Swiss as well. Now, I had the job, but not because I had this huge knowledge of culinary, but he knew when he tells me something to do, I may mess up once, I may mess up twice, but after that, it's programmed, and after that, it will keep being repeated again and again and again. So that's when the mentoring comes in. I had a few mentors. One was in Switzerland with... Uh, Before you dive into sure. these mentors, real quick, um, how did your life start changing in the kitchen when you change your... Uh, outlook on the job when you said i'm just going to be a machine how did things start changing for you well the whole thing was number one i realized i am just part of a machine i'm part of a 
a living organ. They wouldn't call it a machine, actually, because a machine, it's really not. That's what came later, learning that it's, it's, an, it's an organism. It's not a machine. I looked at it at that point as, as a machine. I wanted to be a Terminator. You know, yeah. like, I'm a machine. I'll do everything perfectly, and I'm going to go forward. I'm going to do exactly what was told of me. Um, but also came up was that there's a human aspect of it. So if you had to leave Yugoslavia because of what's going on there, you have a story to tell that is so much deeper, that I'm going, I am such an idiot. I'm so ignorant. Uh, there is me, my little, little Michael, you know, like running around. I have to do dishes. Meanwhile, there's people leaving countries that being bombed. You know, you're yeah. seeing real struggle. And you're just like, wow, I need to stop with that. Like, that's, that's not going to fly. Yeah. And that's what the ignorance is. And that's when, to me, it was like, open up to everybody's story. And look what I'm in the whole scheme of things. Where am I? So you, you flip from going from a place of this isn't fair, like I don't like this, to holy crap, I'm super lucky. I should be grateful for this. I'm going to make the most of it. But did opportunities in the kitchen start changing for you when you flipped your attitude? Did people start offering to teach you things or did you yeah. get, get more opportunities within the kitchen? Of course. Well, first, because if you're humble, um, people want to take you by the hand and mm. go, hey, let me show you. Yeah. And of course, these people that take you by the hand can be just as ignorant as you, but you now have somebody that tells you their story, their information. Take it all in. Mm. Filter it out. Figure mm. out which parts are for you, which parts in there, sometimes even the more important parts. Which part of the story should I never be doing? When somebody tells you that, when somebody lies to you and says, like, well, I never did this, I never did that, but they actually did, but withhold information that is good for you, for a kitchen, for home, for anything. That, that, that is so important that you learn what, is, what you should do and what you shouldn't do. Yeah. And I love that. I think that so often when we are learning how to execute anything in life, we have this way of thinking that there's only one way to do it. Mm-hmm. And we go to the first source that teaches us how to do it, and we just stick to that one way and we stop learning. Mm-hmm. But the truth is, I mean, we are complex beings and there's so many different ways to skin a cat right there's so many different ways to get from point a to point b that you have to learn from everybody and pick and choose the the swiss army knife tools right that work right for you and they're not all going to work right for you but you have to get that perspective and that experience Uh, i i love that you have that that mindset um you were about to talk about mentors get into some of the key mentors early on who really influenced you and how they influenced you well so we have we have people uh, kitchen chefs like lothar willem who when i started was i was so young and for someone to take on that responsibility it's almost you'll never know what your parents had to go through until you have your own kids when you have your own kids you're going to be so grateful that your parents did what they did Mm. even if they didn't do it wrong and yeah you might have to go to therapy for the rest of your life because (laughs) of what they have done but they've done the best they could with the tools that they were given Uh, so same thing goes for the kitchen chef or for anybody. This is, this is just another family. It's an extension of your own family. But you have to raise someone into a kitchen. That's a hard part to do. You know, how do you tell somebody, like, no, listen, you need to really do what I'm telling you to do or else. Mm. Well, what's that or else? When you're a teenager, you're going to push that envelope again and again and again. And you're, so you raise somebody into the kitchen. So he was a mentor that he actually put up with me becoming what I became later on to become this kitchen machine. Then I moved to New York, right? I met my wife in Switzerland in the so kitchen. So real quick before moving to New York, this mentor, mm-hmm. uh, the biggest thing he gave you was patience. Is that what I'm hearing? Patience, patience to- and, and almost fatherhood. You know, mm-hmm. like he, he took me under his wings uh, and teaching me the, the basics of cooking. It was a, a, a very peasant kind of restaurant that, 
you learned how to make a bratwurst zwiebel rösti you made you made these food that was you know sticking to the rib kind of things that it wasn't this great french restaurant that i learned how to do these fine dining things it was how to put food on a table for somebody that can't you know afford to make these fine dining things but yes he took me by the hand and said look this is the personality you need to become and you need to build certain tough skins. What is skins. that personality that you need to become? Can you, can you remember what he told you you need to become? Well, one, again, the whole thing is just, it comes to the same thing. Don't take yourself so seriously. Because when you get emotional about something, you took yourself too serious. Mm. You put yourself first. You got hurt. And you shouldn't get hurt. You should maybe get frustrated and then express yourself. But when you get angry at whatever just happened, and anger is always hard to go to emotion. It's good if you get angry. Anger is not really an emotion, is it? It's just the end result of all kinds of emotions. You can be sad and get angry. You can be happy. Well, happiness, you're pretty much okay. Hopefully that doesn't make you angry because it's the only one that won't you make you angry. So just that was just don't take yourself so serious means be Emotional part of a team. Emotional intelligence, right? Be, yeah, be part of be a team. Be part of a team. Yeah. You're just, you're, you're, nobody's asking you to fix the world. They're just asking, keep your station clean, keep it organized, tell me what to order, tell me what to make the food. And when somebody tells you what to do, then listen to it, what it needs to be yeah. done. Don't question authority at that yeah. point. Like, you do, but don't have to voice it. Like, always question authority. But don't have to, ma- just let it first absorb. Don't just go in automatic, question authority. Like, don't. Just listen to it. Then find out why it is the way it is. Then find, well, then you got to find out who makes the money, then you know how the way my things are the way they are. And then you can make your judgment call of where not only do I see the problem, and that's, that's when I come back to that too. There's people that are very good in pointing out problems, they're very good at it. But you know what? You're going to get the cherry when you solve the problem. Yeah, create the solution, right? Ah. So the big things that you pulled from this mentor, what he taught you was emotional intelligence, being a part of a team. Don't let yourself and your ego and what's happening in your mind swarm and swamp your, your consciousness, right? Mm-hmm. Like think about the team and uh, understanding the why. Listen, understand mm-hmm. why. Uh, I think the other big important thing to point out here is the importance of patience and gratitude for those who took the time to teach you. And I think that when we need to remember who we were at one point, the schmuck who didn't know anything, mm-hmm. right? And when you have that new green person coming into your kitchen, remember that you were there once too and be patient with them and don't make them feel stupid. If they don't know something, teach them. Right. right. Um, that's kind of how I'm being impressed. Like that, that, that's the impression you're leaving on me right now. Is it, is it good to say that that's accurate? We can move on to your next mentor yeah. in New York. Yeah. Okay, cool. So how long were you at this restaurant before you moved to New York? You, you came in, you were 12 years old. I finished military in Switzerland. You have to go to the military. If you are physically and mentally capable of doing the military, you have to go. Uh, it's four months basic training. Uh, the military is sort of a funny equipment. They're not asking you if you want to go any further. They tell you. So they told me that you have to go further. It's time. Yeah. <laughs> so I had to find ways. And I told the guy. I was, I was basically the man in charge of making that decision. I told him, like, look, I have a girl waiting in America for me, and I want to move to America, and blah, blah, blah. Well, he said, I understand. But then later, you know, two weeks later, I got a letter in the mail saying, like, no, you have to continue in the military. But I left the Swiss military, and I moved to the United States. You can find ways to to bail out of it, I would say. Um, moved to the United States, but Switzerland's funny. They're very organized. I had to pay 3% of my yearly income, or 2 two or 3% of my yearly income to Switzerland because I wasn't in the military. Um, but I now I forgot the track where we were at. So your next mentor was what we're Yeah, the next mentor was basically great. Well, no, actually, it was Freddie Moreau in New York. Um, I come to New York, and because at that point, I was like, oh, I got to come in low. I want to go, you know, I need to learn... Um, 
from the bottom up. I wanted, you know, so I came to America and actually had a job lined up where, of course, the day before the job, I went in to see like, oh, what do I need to do and show up to the job. Well, the job was given away to somebody else. Oh, man. Yeah. What happened there? Well, I, it's just, again, you deal with human yeah. beings in the restaurant business. And yeah. I guess the guy decided like, well, I'm going to give it to somebody else. Now, got a job because a friend of ours um, was highly up in restaurant associates in New York, but runs a lot of restaurants in New York at the time. And I got a job at the Metropolitan Opera was really cool and it was just something so different it was so different from what i was used to and worked for us and so i said for approximately six months until you know my wife laura she she was very much into the whole career building you know like she went to the cia the culinary institute of america and know how to set you know they were, they were telling her like make your resume and f- make a resume first and then fill it in and then live your resume later on right Ooh, that's, so the whole that's thing. powerful why is that powerful why is that approach powerful well because you know we all say go have a goal but then we lose track of that goal now for me it's like have a goal in mind is really great but enjoy the way there is much more important like you, you do these little steps and every step is different so get very comfortable the faster you can get comfortable with the new now the easier you will and the more you enjoy life the new now is that Okay, your house burnt down. This is the new now. It's not going to change. It's really bad. The new now is put the puzzle pieces back together as quick as you do that. Same thing goes for your resume. Build your resume. Write it in. Be like, okay, I want to be here for this and here for this and here for that. And there was a restaurant on there. It was called Les Pinas. It was just really upcoming. It was still three stars in New York. Um, I want to reflect on that, the the building your resume first. Mm -hmm. You call it goals. Uh, I like to think of it as vision, too. Mm -hmm. You need a vision. You need a path. You need a plan. You need a Mm -hmm. strategy. And what you're doing by putting the names of those restaurants down, you're doing two years here, then another year after that, I'm going to be here. So Mm -hmm. you're you're charting your path and you're giving yourself intention and you have to live intentionally. You have Mm -hmm. to be on purpose. And by doing, by taking the time to write these, this resume out and to to set your goals, like that's exactly what you're doing. You're charting the path and you have purpose. It's so powerful. Uh, Sorry to to, the budge in there. I just wanted to put emphasis on that. Take it to where you left off. Well, so then I came to New York. Uh, as I said, well, I, took the, I got the job really quickly in Les Pinas. It was three stars at the time. And then, yeah, that Wednesday came around and we got the four star and everything changed. It went from, you know, doing 50 for lunch and maybe like 70, 80 for dinner. We started doing 100 for lunch and 140 for dinner. And you're talking the same kitchen, the same crew, the same setup. You know, you have 35 cooks. Uh, or whatever many so many we were we were a lot I mean it was lunch and dinner crew and only closed on Sundays but it changed everything around but at the time at that time because you were at, at that high level you had to place the ego at the door because if you had any specks of ego left you wouldn't have done it are you going to get screamed at by somebody calling you a donkey you know you idiot move out of the way you know what I mean? Somebody turned the wrong way because the drawers open one way. You need to pass by. You get smacked on the ass and say, like, hey, let's move out of the way. And the way we talk to each other, this intenseness, this – just you're at that level and the stress is permanent. It's all the time. It's like you come in early. You just want to do the best food. You just want to just, just do the food and make sure the chef doesn't see you doing something wrong. You just want to not get caught. You're just in there. And then you do it to each other as well. So it's like in the kitchen. It's very important that you learn something. 60 seconds is one minute. Three minutes is three minutes. That's three times 60 seconds. So when you have – Basically, rotisseur poissonnier, entremetier rotisseur, entremetier poissonnier, saucier have to come together on the path where the sous chefs are plating the food. If you say you're up in 30 seconds and the poissonnier put his food up in 15, 
guess what's going to come after you? Where's my, where's my meat? Where's, where's the steak? Yeah. Where's the... <laughs> so you get mad at the poissonier for not knowing. So there was, there was these things where you just get so intense about it. So there was this guy, Sarik, forgive me for doing this, but he was, um, and he's Israeli, ex-Israeli military, so he was very intense too. And he's on the, on the poissonier, and one time he came up, the ticket came up, and I'm going like, how long on the bass or whatever, a piece of fish? And he goes, I just put it in the oven. And it started out like that. And I'm going like, listen, I don't need a live story. Just give me a number, like how long it takes. And he's like, well, I just put it in the oven. I'm like, listen, when the next time that things come out of, if anything else, then numbers come out of your mouth, I'm going to come over there. And it's just, it gets so intense. And the chef walks in, he's like, what's going on? Nothing, chef, nothing. But you live that and you live it every day. And so when you say like, oh, fill in your resume, be careful when what you think of like what it is. Now we're talking and we're laughing about it. But at the time you're living it every day from seven in the morning till one o'clock in the morning. You got home, you got some sleep or you probably didn't even sleep. You go to 24, seven McDonald's. To... So that story sounds cool. And that's what these chefs have. And I have the same stories. Yeah, they're okay as long as you can live them out. And as long as you can fit in that. And we were talking, I was 22 years old. I was young and I was full of energy. And we pretty much burned out of anybody that was older than, I would say, 30 that came in on that level and just had to do this for days on end. You know, and then you, you, when you're in a certain age, you start setting in that I am who I am and I'm going to be treated a certain way for what I feel I deserve. In those days, I was like, I, what, what do I deserve? I don't deserve anything. I'm just, I'm going to go there. And, um, but Koontz was definitely the one and its entire crew who fine-tuned people, you know? And before it was Freddie Moreau that basically told me, like, look, you need to do what you need to do to get where you want to be. So if you need to quit here of what you're doing, do what you feel like is, and that was the first time somebody actually told me that, I was like, hmm, so I guess I should stop listening to everybody telling me what to do, and I should really do what I really want to do. So one thing I want to just uh, highlight real quick that came out of your mouth quickly was that uh, Chef Koontz, am I saying that correctly? Great Koontz, yeah. Uh, he um, really fine-tuned people, and it's one thing that I've learned is the best chefs, the best restaurants in the world don't produce food. They produce people who produce food and they're constantly cranking out amazing people. And if you look at the track record, if you look at the crumbs, all these amazing people that go on to go open their own restaurants mm-hmm. usually come from a handful of originating restaurants mm-hmm. because those restaurants are cranking out professionals. Right. And it sounds like that's kind of the, the, the restaurant that you're working at this time. They're making you into a professional. You mentioned that it's okay as long as you can live it out. Uh, really distill what you mean by that. Uh, is it being completely aware of what it's going to take and being okay is that, with that? Is that what you meant? So everybody finds a home. Um, look, you accept abnormal. Be very careful because abnormal becomes really quickly normal. Very quickly. You live a life that you do things over and over and over. And because you've done it over and over and over, it becomes a house rule and you do it all the time. That doesn't mean it's good for you. The new normal to you may be not what you're doing. So then you get sick. You get all these different, you get stress symptoms. Your lower back starts hurting. All this stuff comes with it. And then you don't know why. So all these people go out into the world and they do their own restaurants. And then you have people like, at Nomas, right? Or like, I watch Kitchen Table, right? It's, it's, it's I, I really like, it's not even about the food. I, I'm interested about the food too. I like the interaction with the people. And when someone stands behind you and I got this, this real like flashback, it's almost like one of those, you know, movie flashbacks. You're like, <laughs> he stands next to this guy and he goes, I showed you this two weeks ago, didn't I? And he goes like, yes, chef, you did. And he's like, well, then why don't you do it? Two weeks ago, I told you that. 
I'm t- I, show- I told it to you two weeks ago. Two weeks ago, I showed you that. Why don't you do it? what I'm telling you to do? And he won't let loose, right? So you have a- an ego that is way out of proportion. I get it. You serve great food. He chose that path. He's creating this environment. I didn't. I basically then moved to Hawaii. <laughs> there comes the other mentor, and that's Edwin Gatto. Ran a really nice restaurant, upcountry Vermont, I mean, uh, Hawaii. It was beautiful lodge, a quail on Lanai, and we did some local food that was grown on the island. We flew a lot of stuff in because that's the only way you get yeah. it on there. Um, but he basically, and I almost didn't get the job. Because they were afraid that I was too much of a Terminator. I was too much of the guy that comes in and goes like, you need to do exactly what I'm telling you to do. And then the two weeks kind of thing, like I showed you before, why don't you do it again? Because you have a crew up there that work at a restaurant to make money, to pay the bills with their family. Mm -hmm. And their family is more important than the restaurant. Well, hello. Most this a culture shock for you? Well, yeah. I'm like, look, hey, wow, people actually work. To pay the bills. They're not there to make a career necessarily. They just have a job because they want to have some health insurance. They want to get food on the table. They want to get clothes on their kids. They want to get... And I'm like, yeah, well, that's exactly what that is. Look, this is a totally different outlook than I had. But now I I know how to make food. I know how to make good food. I know from peasant food to four stars New York. But I don't know much about any other kinds of cuisine like Pacific Rim, anything that comes Southeast Asia, anything that comes from anywhere else, I don't know anything about. I want to indulge in that. Like, what what you can teach me? What can you show me that I didn't know? Because at the end of the day, you make food, someone's going to put that in their mouth, they first look at it, and hopefully it looks somewhat decent, but even the looks of it is not really quite that important. But when you put it in your mouth and you smell and you taste it, and it just goes, wow, this is fantastic. And you don't even know why. That's okay. But when chefs take themselves too seriously and not do with what the food, what the food actually asks you to do with it, that the ego comes in the way between, I have a huge respect from the farmers. They grow, they raise. And then you have people that to kill the animal, they pick the carrots off the ground, and then me getting into the way of me between those people and the guest, right? So I'm trying to do, let's call it the least amount of damage to what is already perfect, when you look at a perfectly cut steak or a perfectly perfect carrot or a perfect celery root, really the only thing I can do is mess it up or make something out of it that is so delicious that you would say like, wow, I never knew celery root tastes like that. And that's what, always what, what, what I love to do is when somebody says, I don't like scallops or I don't like crab or I don't like this, was it because somebody actually didn't cook it in a way you liked it or you may like it? Because I feel like if you... There's, of course, certain things you may don't appreciate. But for me, for as a kid, I hated Brussels sprouts. Oh, I hated it with a passion. And my mom had me eat three Brussels sprouts anyway. So some nights I was there sitting there with three damn Brussels sprouts in front of me for, you know, 45 minutes. More like a power struggle between me and my mom, I would say. But then I had to eat it. And then all of a sudden I came to New York and we did Brussels sprouts. And we did it totally different than what my mom did. And my mom was a really good cook. But she overcooked the Brussels sprouts. And then I... You know, when you overcook Brussels sprouts, you get that cabbage farty kind of mm-hmm. smell. But if you, you take Brussels sprouts and just roast them a little bit, olive oil, salt and pepper, roast them in the oven. So the outside is nice and crispy. Mm. And maybe I mean, you add some bacon to it. I mean, mm. I can't beat that. But you can change these things around. All of a sudden, I'm like, wow. So that's what it was. I just did not know yet what I can do with it that makes even me like these things. So keep it a chance. Always keep your mind open. Again, when you say, I don't like this, you just closed your doors. Mm. If you say, I don't like mushrooms, whoa, 
how can you say that? You can have mushrooms in the yeah. slimy form as just being steamed, but you can have them in the crispy, crunchy form where it's almost a steak. Tastes like a steak. You almost can't differentiate. And you can have so many different ways. So don't close yourself off to something new. Awesome. Um, I don't even know what, how to reflect on that. Uh, I feel like there's nothing to add to it. Like you said, when it comes to the, the food that's being delivered to you from the, the farms and the, 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 the farmers, the, the butchers, like just don't touch it, right? It's already get, it's there. So um, I wanted to highlight that, and I feel like I don't need to add anything to what you said because <laughs> the, the kind of build off on what you're saying. So any other key lessons during this time of Hawaii? I mean, you also mentioned the importance of slowing down and realizing that you work to take care of your family. You don't work to work. You don't work mm-hmm. to, for, for more work. You got to have that open mind to, uh, with the work life balance, anything else that's worth diving into. Yeah. Fishing. We went fishing and oh. never fished before. So we started fishing and, um, you can have your whole life being absorbed by one thing. And that one thing, hopefully, will fulfill you till the rest of your life. Because the ultimate equalizer between poor, black, white, anything, is time. And time will be over at one point. And at one point, when that time is over, you will close your eyes. And at that point, you have one question. Was this a life worth living or was it not? Um, if you are on this planet to say that I made the best sushi in the world, and you did, and you close your eyes and you were satisfied with that, then it's exactly the life you're supposed to live. For me, uh, when I close my eyes, I would like to know that I, I, I had enough. So, again, my grandma, when she died, uh, my father was on watch because she was old and she started dying and she was on her bed and... One day, one day, she opened her eyes and said, I had enough. Now, somebody with a lot of cynicism goes, oh, that's kind of sad. Look at it. Really look at it. I had enough. Those are the most beautiful words that could come out of your mouth right before you die or anything. Like, I, even now, like, look at it right now. You're looking at me sitting here right now. And I can tell you, I had enough. Meaning... You know, God forbid, I would die right now. No and then I have to answer, right, you know, but it can happen. You know, you never know. Yes, I had enough. And the sickness that is on this planet that feeds all the sicknesses is never enough. Do you understand? At one point, it needs to be enough. Mm-hmm. Because more will end up being so much more that you don't even deserve it, but you don't see it because you need to go and go and go and more and more and more. I don't need a bigger house. I don't need a bigger car. Well, you know, it's interesting because I think that we as humans are hardwired to always strive for more because we needed that survival mechanism, right? We needed to get, we needed to put things away for winter, right? Mm -hmm. But we've gotten so good at surviving that we, we don't necessarily need to have that same drive we used to, to, to sustain life, but we still have that drive. We, we still have that urge to, to get the next thing, to, to be, to acquire the next thing that shows our status, right? right. And we, we need to learn that we don't need that, that right. quality anymore. And, and I think, think that's kind of where you're going with this. Yeah, and just be careful because that not enough seeps into every single aspect of your life. That means if, you, if it's never enough, then your kids will never be enough for you. That mm. means you probably will never enough for your parents You'll never either. be satisfied. You'll never be satisfied. Yeah. If never enough is never enough, then, then you're going to keep running and running and running. Like when you said, you know, are you unstoppable? 
No, I think I'm stoppable. <laughs> I, I think I am. I, you know, it's like, no, am I, am I, look, I love to come to work. I really do. Like, I love what I do and I found a niche. Why and how I ended up here is just learning what to do and what not to do, how to treat people and how not to treat people. That some people don't even know how they want to be treated and then they're like, oh, well, you treat me like this? What is this? Now, well, because you haven't understood yet what is really the best for you. And for this, stop listening to everybody. Just stop. Stop listening. Close your ears. Stop. Turn the music off. Turn every equipment off. Just seriously become quiet. And I think today we have a little bit of an issue with that. Sit down. And for five minutes, just shut up. Close your mouth. And I'm doing this right now by me talking, right? But the only way you can actually learn is by listening, Mm -hmm. not by talking. And even when you talk to yourself, stop talking to yourself and really listen to yourself. That you need to be really quiet. And it will tell you, dude, you're going the wrong way. Maybe not the wrong way, but maybe just a little bit over and you'll be just, just fine. Maybe work a little less. Yeah. Maybe use a little less. You don't need the new iPhone 10. Maybe a five or a six used do just a trick for you. Mm-hmm. Why are you, you know, so people get locked into these things that they think that this is what they need to do because they've been told. Be very careful because ignorance is nothing else but you've been brainwashed. All of us have been brainwashed to believe in something because we watch too much cops shows, right? And now we know how the system works. We know how it is. No, you don't. You're looking at it from your perspective. So what I'm saying is when you paint a canvas, the canvas that represents you, I paint the canvas every day. And then I'm amazed when people look at this canvas and don't see what I'm putting there. Like, I just put that up. Like, I'm this. That's what I am. But because I'm not looking at it myself, I don't understand why people treat me the way I do. But they do. They treat me a certain way. Some people are scared of me. I don't know why. Well, maybe I got to find out that, same as I speak right now, it sounds like I'm yelling. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so what pretty much anybody does in the kitchen right away is tell everybody, they want, like, when he talks like that, he's not yelling. Okay, he's not. But I'm like, okay, maybe I should tune it down. But it's really hard to do that because this is way yeah, I am, yeah. right? So there's certain imprints you are, but if I tune it down, then be careful when you watch people's facial expression and you're like, why is he looking at me like she's looking at me like that? I'm not yelling at you. I'm just telling you my opinion. And then he comes across like this is this hard fact. Yeah. And for me, I'm telling you, for me, what I discovered is over my lifetime is I, I, I want to be, um, I want a response, meaning you can disagree with me and that's totally cool because then we have something to talk about. The worst thing that happens to me is like what I have to worry is when somebody ignores me. Don't ignore me. I don't know we're talking about mommy, daddy issues. You know, everybody got those and those probably be the one that my dad as a punishment usually ignored me. So I got to live with that. Like, don't ignore me. Don't just look away or don't even, don't involve yourself with what I just said. Like, even if you disagree with me heavily, we're like, you are crazy, man. That's not the way it is. I like that, Mm. right? But it comes across like that. So as mentoring, go in the kitchen, go anywhere you are and look in the mirror and take a real good look because usually what it is is this, and this is a funny one. Okay, I'm sorry to mention Michael Jackson, but there's a song out there. Take a good look in the mirror. Take a look in the mirror. The man in the mirror, I think that's what the song is called. And I'm thinking Michael Jackson, well, he should have done that himself too. Um, But do it yourself as well because you're teaching you put out there. And all of us are so good teachers. We teach others. We judge others. Throw all that exactly with the same intensity back at yourself. I'm calling people ignorant. Yeah, so am I? And of course, the answer is Yes, I am. <laughs> yeah. And once in a while, I owe someone a huge apology, especially when you got those cold showers and the goosebumps when you're like, I just did something so bad yeah. without even knowing I did. 
So what's wrong with apologizing? You know, being ashamed once in a while is a really, really good thing. Very humbling Take a, Yes, it is. Yeah. Take a good shower in some nice, I'm ashamed for what I just did. I did it to my kids when I'm like, look, I am so sorry for that I responded in this way. Instead of just saying, like, well, I'm a parent. I need to do this. No, you don't. Maybe you do. Maybe you don't. Imagining you, the problems you had with your parents, your boss, Right? Your boss did this to you. And for me, I grew up in this industry. Mm. So for me, it was like, so am I doing the same thing as was done to me, even if I didn't like it? Or am I passing this on 100%? So you you're trying so to avoid. Mindful. You got to be mindful. Everything that you do is a reflection of who you are. And people are going to take those experiences and tie them to you. And it's hard to shed those things once they've already happened. I mean, you yeah. can't take things back unless you apologize unless you acknowledge it. And I think only you can kind of take it back, right? You can only fix only you can fix that. Um, so be, just be mindful of that energy you're putting out. Uh, I can't believe we're already 40 minutes into this conversation. We haven't even gotten to <laughs> yeah. Michael's on the Hill yet. Uh, any other key mentors? I know you came back to the States or sorry, stateside um, to New York, worked as the chef de cuisine at the Regency. Uh, anything worth mentioning there? Any key lessons in your life before you came up to Vermont that's worth having? Yes, because I came back to New York and I took over the St. Jude's Hotel as a kitchen chef of uh, basically what was called the outlets. It was basically everything else except L'Espinasse at a time shifted over to uh, Christian Delouvrier at that time. And I was thrown in into a very, very strong union place. What in the in those days when you were career oriented and everybody that is in you know, in the corporate world union oh bad 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 and I'm like all right so I need to deal with this now some of it was very destructive as in um, functioning of a restaurant but the other ones was just it was just eye opening because you know. There's abuse, and abuse needs to be stopped, no matter in the workforce or not. So if you don't get paid enough wages for the amount of work that you do, and then there's people that abuse the situation, of course, that too. But people that abuse situations or abuse the system or abuse whatever, they're there. But what I learned from that is how do I make a team out of people that are seriously here just to support their families? They're not here to make a career out of it. They're not here to move up on the ladder. They don't want to have a four-star restaurant. They don't even want to own their own restaurant. They're going to work in this kitchen because they came from, from whatever they came from, the, from the East Coast, West Coast, around the world, whatever they came to. They came to America to make themselves a better life. To them, life does not mean the job. That's just a part of it. And how do you make them feel like they, they want to do the best job possible? And, you know, and then you start dealing with issues and how to deal with issues, real ones and unreal ones. And so, so here, here's, a, here's a funny one, right? So here, this is, this is something that it's, it's actually kind of cool because I was actually um, accused of being racist. And um, so this is, this is why I was accused to be racist. We're in the kitchen and I have sous chefs and some of the one of my sous chefs who is from Puerto Rico, you would think he speaks Spanish. He did not. He's third generation mainland here, um, did not speak Spanish that well, and the whole line, my crew, spoke Spanish to each other. And they're like, you know, Spanish, 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 Spanish. And all of a sudden said something to him in Spanish, and he's like, you know, guys, I don't speak Spanish. And I'm turning around, and we're like, listen, guys, you know, you, you should speak English. This is an English-speaking kitchen, and you should speak English. And boom, there he was. I dropped the bomb, right? I said, this is an English-speaking kitchen. Please, if you could speak English, that'd be great. I ended up in a meeting, with the union, the uh, representative, I mean, everybody was in this meeting. 
And I walked into this meeting, and never ever walk into a meeting, never walk into a room, not knowing what to expect in that room. That's another thing you need to learn in life, right? I knew what the, what the thing's going to be. I said good morning in Swiss German. I spoke Swiss German to all the people in there. They asked me questions. I answered them in Swiss German. Of course, immediately came the question, well, we can't understand what you're saying. I'm like, oh, yes, so there you go. I'm like, I'm not, I'm not racist. What is this anyway? I uh, would like this to be English-speaking because I would like to know what you just said because you could actually assault somebody verbally so easily because I don't speak Spanish. Yeah. I learned some Spanish on the way because I was like, well, I better learn some Spanish too because it would make my life all so much better. But at the time, I didn't. So I, if you want me to um, supervise people in what's happening to them, so I, I wouldn't even know if you would, as I said, harass someone. With Spanish, if I don't speak it. So I'm like, this is an English-speaking kitchen, not because we want to suppress you speaking Spanish. We want to make sure that I can understand what you're saying so I can say, hey, this is not really cool if you talk to someone like that, yeah. if she's female, if she, he's gay or, or whatever yeah. that is. How do you monitor the culture <laughs> if you don't know what's being said? How do you keep uh, standards if you don't know what's going on? But, so. but that taught me, again, something that, hey, you need to listen to every aspect and everything of it, that somebody can see that as being racist. And then when it has to be an address, don't take this personal. Yeah, you mentioned something I want to dive into, and you said um, you're talking about how to motivate somebody mm. who's there for just the paycheck because you came into this previous experiences where everyone's there trying to mm -hmm. build their career. Mm -hmm. They're super passionate. They have the yep. desire. But you moved into this uh, situation where you had these, uh, what's the word, uh, uh, unions. Mm -hmm. So these people are here to collect checks more. Yep. Uh, they're, they're there for stability, right? Yes. How do you motivate somebody who isn't there trying to build their career, who right. doesn't necessarily have that desire? How did you do that? Well, for that, you got to look at the basics, the two basic pillars of business, right? Education and renovation. So if you, have, if you don't have the two of them, those are the two single individual units that will make it happen. Either I didn't train you enough to do the job you're doing, or I didn't give you the equipment that you need to do that job. So that was renovation and innovation. Uh, sorry. Education. Sorry. Yes. Well, that's, so what, what, I, that's what I get out of it. If you read those books <laughs> say, or whatever. Say the two one more time. Right. So it, it, it's education, education and renovation. Got you. And yeah, that's what I got out of this whole thing. And I feel like that that's what it was. And then look at the personality. Like some people, they want to please you as a human being. So that means that they need to see that you're leading by example. Right? So as, as, as a hint to every parent and every, every, um, every boss out there, they are not going to. Well, if you're a boss, you can fire them, so you have a little bit more leverage there. As a, as a parent, you don't have that much leverage. Um, they will copy you, what you're doing. And if you do it, they will do it. So your kids, as much as you can talk to your kids and be like, you know, don't do this and don't do that and do this, they're going to watch you. So you, you're much better off accepting who you were first before you raise your children because they're going to be exactly like you. So if you accept yourself, you can accept your kids. And the same goes for the workers too. And I'm sorry, I don't want to call my, my workers kids, but more like a family unit. They are my brothers. They are my sisters. We all work together. If you treat them with respect as what, who they are. And you got to understand, like, you come into a work environment with all your emotional baggage. Everybody's like, oh, hang your emotions at the door. Yeah, good luck with that. Because yeah. you are who you are. If I talk to you in a certain way and I talk to him in a certain way, it's not the same outcome. So you need to know who your players are. Who is your team? One player is very good in saying, hey, listen, I would like you to do it this way and this way. And this is the reason why. And now they know. The other one does not and keeps fighting you on it. All right, maybe now you got stuck in a power struggle. So go sit them down. At the end of service, be like, hey, 
What's going on here? Like, what, what is it? What is, what's the disconnect between you and me right now? Because I feel like there's a disconnect. Do you think maybe you know more than I do? And that could, that could happen. Like, why don't, you tell, why don't you tell me how you would make that dish, right? But in the meantime, during service, and for me too, there is, you have a game plan. And when a chef starts freaking out and has one of their, their special hissy fits, because that's all they are, they're little hysterical children. This is all to all these chefs out there that still have these hissy fits. Good luck to you. Because guess what? It took you about 15 minutes to get up there. Maybe some chefs are getting better at it. They get 15 seconds to go from zero to 120 so fast. Are you mental? Like you must be mental doing this because <laughs> this is how nobody wants to be yeah. talked to. Yeah. And this is how – then you're going to upset someone. So I'm on the line. I'm trying to do the best food possible. Now you just yelled at me that I'm this piece of garbage and other horrible things. And now I'm getting upset. So my, my adrenaline is pumping. I'm shaking. So now I can't even season properly. I can't even do any because I'm now shaking. And I don't know, should I just say yes, chef, or should I punch you straight in the yeah. face? So don't do this. There is ways to communicate. And I am the biggest advocate of express yourself. The second you get frustrated, how do you express yourself? Does this expression need to wait a second till after service when we're done with it? Because here comes the big kicker. When you do this as a kitchen chef, as anything in the whole chain of commands, when the stuff comes through the door in the kitchen to serving it to the guest, how do you think the guest is going to come up on that? Do you think it's good for them? Do you think it's good when you have, and this is, this, is a, this is a true story. We went to a restaurant and we asked the server, and she was a 50-year-old woman, means a mature woman, and we asked her, can my wife have some boiled potatoes we saw on the menu instead of the mashed potatoes? And she turns bright red, I mean bright white, totally white, because she's scared to go in the kitchen asking the kitchen chef if, if we could switch something. So she comes up with this story about, oh, I could, what I could do is I could give you a side order, but I won't charge you for it. And I'm going like, oh, my God, why don't you just go in the kitchen, tell the chef yeah. to swallow his ego for right. five seconds and just do it. And for me here at Michael's on the Hill, the reason why we be so successful is the guest still comes first. Yeah. I mean, there, there's so much we just pull from that. Uh, I mean, you gave us a little bonus talking about emotional intelligence and controlling your emotions. And when you find yourself getting crazy and emotional, Express yourself, communicate, because you will create a situation where your team's emotions start to flood their reasoning, their, their practical mind, like that, that frontal lobe just gets like taken over mm. with emotion. So be mindful of that. But the original question was, what do you do? What, how do you motivate people who don't want to be motivated? And the answer, I think, was know yourself, mm. most importantly, and know your players. And your, your team will rise to that standard that you set for yourself and for those key players, right? But like, so you have to know the energy you're putting up. You have to know what you're communicating with your mm-hmm. actions and your people will rise to that top. Right. They will become the average of who you are and your key players. Right. So in the kitchen, the philosophy, since I was a little kid is I love my mom very much. So I always pictured that dish is going out to my mom. Not, not to somebody I don't know who made a reservation at this restaurant, but it, no, it's actually my mom sitting yeah, out there. That same level. Exactly. Same so I always go up to people. And again, it's, it's, it's again the ignorance. You know, some, some people don't like their moms because their moms have done some bad things to them. Mm-hmm. Okay, so I'm not using that thing saying like, okay, so think it's your mom out there because some people love to spit in their mom's food. Okay, so find out, have someone that you love out there, you truly respect and is this plate good enough to serve that person? And if it's not, why are you sending it out? The other philosophy behind it is up to the kitchen door, your name is on it. After that, here comes the ego trip and check that at the door. All our name is on it. 
Not just mine. Yeah, my name is on the sign. Not even that was my idea. That was my wife's idea to put the, my name on it. It makes things simple too. I'm Michael from Michael's on the Hill. Mm-hmm. But in the kitchen, we all are a team. But if you send something, you come to Michael's on the Hill and you ate, had a meal here and you, it wasn't something you appreciated. And now I'm out and tell somebody, I'm working at Michael's on the Hill. And they're like, oh yeah, I had a bad meal there. You are just as responsible as everybody that was. That doesn't make a difference if it was the salad dressing or the salad wasn't dressed properly to the steak was not cooked properly or whatever. So we all, all our names are on it. And how do motivate people is redemption seriously redemption let them redeem themselves don't just curse them out and be like all right you done you don't get out this is you you done maybe there is a there, there is there is times when that is necessary but most of the time it's just a misunderstanding between your your personality and mine and when a chef has an epiphany we're like wow that this chef actually has my best interest in mind i want you to succeed here not only here i want you to succeed in life too so if i show you how to dress a salad properly now you go and dress a salad anywhere you go and then you go from here so when I went to Grey Coons, and then you become what's called a Coons boy or a Coons girl, right? You go out there. That brings a lot of good with it, but it also brings bad with it, that people are scared to hire you because you might be too intense. But when they leave here, you have my name on your back. And when you go out there and, and somebody tells you, like, oh, go, go make a salad or show me how to braise a pork shank or uh, how do you debone a fish or how do you – you know, we were talking about that before. Passion. If I can take the passion you have about yourself, and we have a lot of passion about ourselves, that's called ego, yeah. can I take some of that and make it into what you're actually serving? Because at the end of the day, it's not, it, it's what, what, that I, what I've done with my life is what I have done to you, like right now. You know, I don't know exactly who you are. I have no idea. I don't know what your childhood was. I don't know where you're going to go from here. But right now, you're here, and we are so equal in where we are right now. Because you're sitting in front of a microphone, I'm sitting in front of a microphone. You had a life to talk from, I had a life to talk from. Right now, I'm telling and telling you and babbling on, so you learn <laughs> way more from me than I would learn from you. I'm so, loving this conversation. Well, you have an interview with me. If I had an interview <laughs> with you, then I would ask you all these questions because I want to learn. And so here it is. If I see somebody has a failed business, right? In this world of business, oh, you're the loser. You lost you lost a business. How could you lose a business? You must be not good at it. Hold, hold, hold on a second now. You are a winner because, one, you jumped. Mm. You took the plunge. You took the risk to put everything on the line. And even if it was an inheritance, who cares? You did put something on the line. And if you worked for years and years and years and you built something up and you lost it, I want to hear your story. Why? Mm-hmm. Why? Was it an emotional? Was it personal? Was it business? Was it just in the wrong place? Was it just you ran out of money? What, what? So you're a winner to me because I listen to you just as much as I want to listen to Bill Gates, as I was, want to listen to Warren Buffett. I can learn from everyone. A, always a lesson. There's Absolutely. always a lesson. Yeah. yeah. Um, one more thing I want to go a little bit deeper into before we talk, start talking about Michael's on the Hill. You talked about redemption and the best way you can uh, motivate somebody is, or to to keep them going is to give them a second chance. Let them redeem mm-hmm. themselves. What is your approach to letting, how do you redeem somebody? Is there a compliments. way that you, compliments? And okay. trust me, I'm, I'm not good at it. Please see, everybody in the kitchen will know, but there comes a certain amount of respect with it when you're just like, that is beautiful or that tasted so great or whatever. It was just, it's just, 
that's a cool idea. We should look at it this way. But yeah. maybe do you think maybe if we put a little more acid into it, or maybe like a pickled ramps and some ramp juice or, or, or whatever, like it's a great idea. Where do we go with this? So the, the solid foundation of the idea is we have menu meetings every time we change the menu. I'm not the guy that comes in the kitchen and be like, here's the menu. This is what we're going to do. These people come in and they have experiences. Even if it was that your entire experience was picking the blankets, right? There is – I love picks in a blanket. And there's nobody that can deny to you because – it's actually a very perfect kind of food, right? A little bit of mustard on it. And you got pretty much any yeah. aspect of what good food is. Fat, salt, crispy, uh, pork, right? So you have a little mustard. You get the spice in there, maybe a little sour. Ooh. So where can we go from here? What are we going to do? Yeah. Right? And I think, you know, compliments, absolutely. And I think where are we going to go from here? If there is a mistake, instead of chewing them out, instead of making them feel like crap, uh, Take them aside and show them how to do it right. Give them the tools. Maybe you, maybe you screwed up. Maybe you didn't teach them right the mm-hmm. first time. Maybe somebody else showed them something different that wasn't right. So, mm-hmm. you know, give them that compliment when the times are right, but also give them the knowledge, the tools they need to do it right, and right. give them the chance to do it again. And don't shut them down. Yeah. Do not shut them down. Look, sometimes the ideas are not that good. I get that because they don't have enough experience. I haven't been in the business for long. But any idea can awake another one never shot an idea down and an opinion sometimes opinions are so crazy yeah. and you're like that must be wrong and then you're like okay uh, maybe 90% was wrong and 10% of it is so right there, right now we're totally pulverized in this country right we don't even want to listen to anybody's opinion anymore yeah. we're just like no 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 you're on the wrong side here I'm on the right side there is no right side people there's just your side mm. and there's anybody else's but we can find together a way to Again, come together because you have the political arena, right? And we think that that is such an important thing because they put this beautiful show on, like, you know, uh, that the politicians are for your world and they, they want to have, have you in mind. No, they don't. They got themselves in yeah. mind. They got to be reelected. Money's moving. Money's moving fast and hard. Have yourself in mind and your community, right? So what can I really change? So you, you change on a small scale. Right? Think locally, you know, act locally, but when you act locally, it actually acts globally because that goes out. You have the butterfly effect. Yeah. Yeah. And that goes with the chefs too. It goes into every detail of your life. Yeah, I think that's something we're going to get into when we come back and talk about Michael's on the Hill. But we're going to take a quick break to thank our sponsors. We'll be right back. And I think this is going to be a little bit longer than an hour and uh, 10 minutes. But <laughs> it's good stuff. So I'm okay with it as long as you're okay with it. So this probably does not come as a surprise to you. But as you can imagine, I look at a lot of restaurant websites because I'm constantly researching my next guest, successful restaurateurs. And you'd be surprised how many of those people have bento box websites. I mean, I almost know instantly when looking at these websites because they're always so stunning and they always check every box, everything that a good restaurant website should have. These websites have them, and it's because they're going to Bento Box to get the work done. And not only will Bento Box leave a lasting impression with your guests, but Bento Box websites come with hospitality-focused tools that are proven to drive revenue online. With Bento Box, you can easily update menus, promote events, share press, sell gift cards, take catering orders, and book private events directly from your website. Bento Box puts you in control so you can focus on what matters most, your restaurant. Bring your restaurant hospitality online with bento box by signing up today at getbento.com slash unstoppable and save up to $1,500 on initial setup for your new restaurant website. So we're back and we're just about to start talking about how you made the move back north. Um, 
and why you made the move back north. Take us to that point where you made the decision that it's time to go, not back north, but to the north, to Vermont from New York. Well, you know, I was living in New York, and I did exactly what New Yorkers do. They uh, either have a car and come up north to go on vacation in Vermont or weekends in New York. I mean, weekends in Vermont and enjoy up here. Now, what I fell in love with is not only necessarily the, the nature, natural beauty, and it is gorgeous up here. I mean, it's stunning if you survive the winter. Um, <laughs> but it's more like the way people think up here. It's, it's very open-minded in... And I really mean open-minded, not just like, oh, you're open-minded. Just because you are in, a, let's say, a minority group doesn't mean you're open-minded about it. It just means that really you, you have a point of view of just yourself. You know what I mean? It's just, it's just like a black person does not talk about just that. It's like it's you I want to talk about, not just that. I want to hear about you and your struggles. And Vermont, same exact thing. It's like so, so many different aspects of people that live out here because we have enough space. And that's the biggest thing, space. Mm. My mind can run free to think – what have I done right? What have I done wrong? What have I done wrong to myself? What have I done wrong to people? And Vermont was the beautiful place to be for me to open my restaurant because I wanted to raise my family in a small town. Because small towns, again, have positives and, of course, negatives. I grew up in a small town in Switzerland. I was always, always known as the little Michael because and I'm now six foot three and over 200 pounds, so anything but little. But even then, when I was 16, I already grew up there. Um, but I was known as that, so I could never do anything. Like, I, I was kind of like under the watch yeah. of you know, Big Brother. Would, then they would tell my parents. It was always basically like two, three days, and my parents would know what I've done. But it was also very secure, very nice to know that my kids can go outside. And today, kids don't go outside because we actually started believing that the world out there is a dangerous world. The kid gets kidnapped and, and all these bad things. And so the kids stay at home, play computer games. And for me, it was more important that I can tell my kids, go outside. Why? Here, I can tell them, like, go outside. All it's out there, it's the woods. They're going to get hurt by scraping themselves or maybe falling off something. That's, that's about the most hard thing to court thing to do. So you wanted to give your, your kids that, that childhood, yes. right? Uh, well, were you getting burnt out in New York? Was that, that lifestyle of living to work just not doing it for you anymore? And yes. I- and I, start, I left New York early enough to still love New York because – I've been to Los Angeles, I've been to San Francisco, I've been to Zurich, I've been to Paris, I've been to Rome. And there is all different kinds of places. But New York holds, and I've been, I was living there for five years in total. There's a certain thing in New York that, that I have a hard time finding somewhere else. It's just that melting pot um, of everything, of, of all the different cultures. And to me, maybe it was because it was my... New York popped my cherry, right? Yeah. It, was, it was because I came from Switzerland, very organized, very straightforward, then come to New York. And I still have the story. When I came from the airport and I was picked up, and the car in front of us actually lost the bumper on the backside. You know, like one of those, <laughs> New York, those Hollywood movies yeah. where you would drive in, the bumper scratched and the sparks started flying up because West Side Highway is in such bad shape. That was 1990s, and it's still in bad shape. There's potholes. You need a four-wheel drive car. So... That's, that, to me, New York was the place and always is, and I want to love New York. But to me, I'm a country pumpkin that it's like, no, I want – I like this. I like this. And we go to New York every year. We go to yeah. Thanksgiving. We go down to my in-laws, and they live in New Jersey. And um, we go to New York because there is an energy there. 
And he grabs you again, that energy that I had when I was 22 years old to be in Lesbinas because you would go to work and then after work you go out drinking, right? And then you, you go to sleep for a couple hours, you back to work <laughs> yeah. and then you go out drinking again or you go to the restaurants that other people did. Like Nobu at the time was fantastic. Um, then we had uh, uh, Boulet, we had Danielle, we had Le Bernardin. So it, it was just like we would go out to these places where it's just life was fantastic as that. But this is not anymore now. Now I know stuff. And mostly I know stuff about myself. So when I go into New York and there's all these people, but when I look at these people, um, especially, I hope nobody takes this personal, there's so many people living there, but they're so lonely. Some of them have communities, like Brooklyn is a great community. You know, like people would actually, there's family living there. But if you're there just for your career, you kind of miss out on that. There's a whole community living in your building. I knew there was a, a woman living right next to us in that apartment building, and I knew her schedule better than anything from the door slamming when she would go to work, and she probably knew mine because from going to work and whatever, but I have no idea who she was. Never knew because I never, ever saw her. So you lose that sense of what is actually important as well because it's community as well. So is that what you were trying to get away from when you wanted to yes. come up to New York? You wanted to be able to know the people mm. that were literally coming and going like right on the right. other side of the wall? I wanted to have somebody that if I order... Any produce. It's not just Baldor delivering it, yeah. right? I'm coming to Vermont and I want to know this is Ryan and this is Jeff and this is the person that you know. What this happens farmer, when you know the person that's connected to the food that you're cooking? Well, that's what it is. So in one winter, one of the farms, the roof caved in, right? So we had raised the barn fundraisers. Immediately people got together because, you know, you're the farmer. You're trying to make the money work and, and, and then you don't have enough insurance to cover if a, if a barn caves in. So you come together. You feel for that yeah. person. I mean, in the, in the city, it's just a transaction. There's that, that's a transaction, money at the door. Right. Here, there's a name, a story tied to that, that carrot that you're getting. Right? right. And when something happens to that person, you feel like that's your community. You feel like you've got you to gotta lift that person up. You've got to support them. Like, this is, we, we need each other. Because right. what happens, like, I love those carrots. Like, I, right. your, your, your barn just collapsed. I can't get these carrots again. Like, you know, you, there's, a, there's a connection there. It's right. not just a transaction. So, you know, in your family, it, it, it's, it's a big thing when you're like, you're trying to get away with things, right? You're yeah. trying to get away with saying something, but you probably won't, not in your family. You're trying to serve something like when your mom creates or somebody creates a new dish in the kitchen, right? And you're trying to get away with it. You probably won't, not in your family. Same thing goes at work. Same thing goes anywhere. Like you're not going to get away with it. And when you have a partnership and a family, as, as a family I have here, as a family I feel like my farmers are that are raising stuff and growing stuff for me, they're not trying to get away with things. They're not trying to give me seconds and sell the, the, the first picks at the, at the farmer's markets. And I'm getting the same quality, sometimes even better, because they're trying to make sure that I'm happy with what I get so we can continue growing. Mm. When farms burn down or farms get hurt or anybody gets hurt, we're in there with them. You know, like, no, I can order my carrots from somebody else because this guy just lost the whole harvest because of too dry. Yeah. Right? Or lettuce got burned because it was too hot. Okay, so instead of serving you arugula tonight, we're going to serve you something else. Who do you, are you really going to care? No, you as a guest and actually feels, I'm part of this. You know what I mean? I am part of, oh, they don't have arugula. How dare they? No, well, guess what? You're going to eat mescaline tonight, or you're going to eat spinach salad tonight, or you're going to eat something else because the server just told you our farmer got their fields burned because the sun came into it. Oh, he's still trying to figure out his land, right? So a farmer needs to figure out, when you start a farm, for example, it's exactly that. I, I want to hear about your struggles. And that's what this is. This is what the ignorance comes in. I'm ignorant to your struggles until you tell me your struggles. And then it's for me up to, to accept your struggles. So a farmer that takes over a new parcel of land, 
doesn't really know how the sun's going to hit it, doesn't know how the rain's going to yeah. hit it. So you grow curve, yeah. with them. Exactly. And with that, if, I, if I'm in a restaurant and I keep my things open when it's like we have uh, uh, wild mushroom gnocchi on the menu, what do we serve it with, Right. So we call it wild. Are they really wild or they're just roasted? So we say roasted on the menu. But because of roasted mushrooms, I can use any mushroom there is. And of course, most of them I would love to have when they come out. The first is going to be the chanterelles, right? And then after that comes the oysters. And then come you know, all these different lobsters, the lobster mushroom. And make the guest a part of it as well. Mm. Let them know. Some people care where the food is from. Pull Some them into don't. the chain. Like, yeah. don't just, again, don't You're make part it a of my family right now. It's not a transaction. It's transformative. Your, your purchasing decisions are going to transform somebody else's life. And right. let them know that by coming to my restaurant, by spending the money here, your money, your dollar is going to impact something mm-hmm. at the other end of the chain. That's so powerful. Uh, but you also mentioned struggles. People want to know the struggle. So the, mm-hmm. what, are you, what were your struggles? We know why you came up to Vermont from New York mm-hmm. because you wanted this type of lifestyle where you're close and connected to the food and the, the community. But what were your early struggles? Uh, you know, did you, how did you guys get the money to open this beautiful place? Like right. all that kind of stuff. Like, <laughs> like get us into like the real tr- struggles yeah. of opening a restaurant and being an, a young burgeoning restaurant. Well, work hard, work long hours, build a career, make that do that resume happening. And the reason why we moved from Hawaii back to New York was to make money. We needed to make money. Um, it's expensive to live in Hawaii, uh, FYI. <laughs> but it actually is. We lived on Lanai. And everybody would tell, like, why did you live on Lanai? Because it's like this really secluded island sort of right next. There's two luxury resorts on there and Hotel Lanai. was right, apparently now also very, very nice. Um, and then we moved back, but it was paradise. You know what I mean? But even paradise to a guy that came from the north... I like the seasons, you know what I mean? I'm not talking seasons, a little bit more rain, a little less rain. We're talking like snow, spring. But New York was where the money was. And then I heard, hey, you know what? If you invest in real estate, you can make some money. Oh, okay. So we have a little money saved up. Let's buy our first apartment. You know, like, oh, cool. And, you know, a couple of years later, we tripled the amount of money we paid for the apartment. So then we bought a house in South London, Derry, where we actually worked first. Um, made money off of that again. So I actually became a real estate business thing too, where, you know, thank goodness I was able to do that. Yeah. There's and- a good lesson here. Uh, invest in assets. Early in your career, you know, start thinking now for later. What, you know, if I'm working 70 hours a week and I have excess capital, instead of going out and spending all my money on drinks every night, like, can I buy, like, can I start putting my money towards an asset? Mm. So 10 years from now mm-hmm. when I'm ready to put my get my business like i i can put my my assets against the business Mm -hmm. you have something that's going to give you that traction most young people don't think like that but it sounds like that was going on in the back of your mind the getting getting those assets to have something for leverage later down the road right but what at that point is the belief is that the future is more important than the present the present right now is happening right now so i hope you're happy (laughs) i hope you what's happening right now i hope you're really happy with what's happening now but you can't predict the future, but you can plan for it as much as you can, and then you know things change. When it comes to finances, look, people started getting very creative where they took money, other people's money, they uh, got funded with um, credits, you know, like you buy in with $5,000 increments and you open a restaurant and then and, and open it up. And uh, look, if you open a restaurant, the biggest problem you have is you're underfunded. Mm-hmm. Was that your situation when you guys came here? Yeah. Well, yeah, I was underfunded to the point where at least I could find the funding because I was so solidly on the ground that I was able to find the funding to keep going. And to keep going was the whole kicker. It was like, don't give up. Don't don't stop. If you, I mean, you know, 
So you came up here in 2002. 2002. is when you opened Michael's mm-hmm. on the Hill, which is where we're sitting today, almost 18 years ago, mm-hmm. or I can't do yep. that, 17 years ago. Yep. Um, you, you opened, did you hit that wall where you started to struggle and you, were you worried that you wouldn't stay open? Was that something Oh, that's that, how I succeeded. Okay. Well, I didn't succeed because, you know, oh, there's, no, there's no possibility I'm going to fail. I never had that attitude. I always looked at people that actually did fail and why. And always looked at their excuses too, because some people had some excuses that were just on. I was just like, that, that's not really why. Um, I was always running my business like, I don't want to fail. I cannot fail. Like, if I fail right now and I close my doors, I'm going to be, you know, when you have debt, right? And you, you invested in your, in your business, that is business debt. Yeah, well, if your business makes $2 million and you're 500000 in the hole, oh, it's okay. You, you can support that. But if your business closes, that 500000 becomes now personal debt. I don't know a lot of people that's, like that's me. That's scary. That is very scary. <laughs> yeah. So that's what it is. You make that jump. You make something that is business. Failure is not an option. Personal. Yeah. Yeah. You can't fail. Yeah. That, that, I can see how that would be extreme. I mean, I... I and you know, like for, for totally, me, really, yeah. yeah. I mean, for yeah. me, it was like the passion was also about, you know, I grew up being, you need to be the, the provider in the family. Although my wife worked just as hard as me. My wife was just as much a provider for me, but it was imprinted in my head. And maybe because my father did some bad investments when he was younger and our family had to struggle to go through it. And he slapped it all that on the house. And I saw that from him and how he struggled with that. And I struggled with it. But here at work, people needed to feel like they were safe. They were safe. I did not bring it to work. My bookkeeper came once a week, and that's when you realized, oh, wow. What happens? How are we going to pay the bills? What happens when you do bring it to work? What will happen? Why do you have to keep the positive energy? Yeah, well, that's the whole thing. To me, it's, look, I always say too much. That's me. I want you to know who I am. Now I want your opinion. Man, I think you're an a-hole. Okay, I'm okay with that. But at least you're not thinking I'm the stand-up dude and then I disappoint you for who I am. But the same thing was on in the kitchen. Like, they knew we were struggling. You know, they knew we were just starting out. And when people go into new startups and do these things, and today a startup means something totally different. Yeah, well, if one of these startup companies in tech give you $10 million and here, go, go and do something with it, and they're expecting to what? Out of 100, 100 startups, maybe two of them is going to make money, but they're going to make so much that they're going to cover for all mm-hmm. the other 98%. Okay, but for me, there was no failure. I could not fail because if I did fail, I would fail so hard that this would echo for a long time. And I always tell people too, like even in the kitchen too now, like be careful, finances echo for weeks, months, years, lifetimes. Where are you going to end up? Are you going to end up with one of those trumps that, so if you failed, you had a business and it failed, I applaud you. You are my hero. You tried. Yeah, you took the risk. You totally yeah. took the risk. And maybe you got stuck and you maybe wish you didn't do it. Maybe when you sold the business, the 600-pound gorilla got off your back because you carried that burden for so long yeah. that it, it grounds you down. into. You know how many restaurant owners you know, like the elder, especially the elder ones that are so bitter? They're so bitter because they sacrifice so much. For what? Exactly. For serving people dinner? I mean, that's what I do. I serve people food. And I'm trying to do it in the best environment, in the best way that when you come in, you have dinner. And I hope you're not taking yourself too serious because you need to understand we mess up as well. Michael's on a hill can mess up. How do you deal with that mess up? There comes the ego part. No, I don't mess up. No, you do mess up. So even if we run out of arugula because the farmer lost his, his harvest, we still apologize and say, sorry tonight, you know, because sometimes... You know how it is like you, you think like, oh, you're going to get pork spare ribs for dinner tonight. 
Yeah. Because you're going to go to a barbecue place. And they were out. And now you have to live with that. Like, I'm, dare you, you were out of that. How? I'm like, I'm like, came here to eat the lobster and you're out of lobster. Yes, it can happen. How genuine are we about this? That yes, we could not satisfy that angle of it. But you're still going to have a good dinner. Maybe you're not, not going to get that. That's my whole philosophy about the restaurant business. And I was not, I don't want to fail. I don't want to let you down as a guest. I want you to come in here, be greeted with a smile at the door. If we do mess up, not everything goes 100% smooth. How was it dealt with? How was so this That was, that was my question is when you do mess up, how do you deal with it? Right. Like it's, it's not a matter of messing up because we're all going to mess up. But what does matter is how we deal with it. So yeah. how do you deal with how it? How do you fix it? Yeah. Right? Is it that I can recook something, clear the table, recook something? Is it that it's just not that what you expected to get? Do we take it just off the bill? Maybe you already had enough from your appetite. You don't want anything else. Take it off the, off the bill. So another mentor, too, what is, you just put it in words, is Danny Myers, runs restaurants in New York City. And then some of them actually, a couple of friends of mine were actually in it. And some of them failed, too. Um, but he put it into words, setting the table. Um, by Danny Meyer. If you if you want to have somebody that puts it in words, because see, same as same as Anthony Bourdain, like he just put these stories into words, and of course he embellishes here and there and whatever. And I used to actually go when I was younger to Lesal to have some steak tartare and French fries with the crew, and and he put it into words. And that's what Danny Meyer did with the restaurant business. Like, what is management in a restaurant business? How do you actually put it out there? And he puts it into such great words. So please read it. If you can't read, get the, get the you know, on, on tape. Oh, God. Yeah. This is, I love that <laughs> you stuff. get that sucker on audio. Right. Yeah. So, but just listen to it and learn from it because he will tell you how he failed as well. Right? So, for me, I don't want to fail the guest. When you come in, I want to make you happy with all the corks you are. And then, trust me, every, every, every guest comes in here with their own corks because if I do 100 guests, there's 100 different stories behind it. That's the same thing that if you're a vegan, you, you chose a lifestyle that is vegan. Yeah. That is for a chef probably about the biggest nightmare if you're not fully laid out to be vegan. <laughs> Vegetarians, easy. Easy. Vegan is not so much, right? So... A lot of vegans that come here call me ahead of time. Say like, hey, uh, you know, we're going to come in for dinner tonight. Uh, what would you, you have on the menu? And then it's just because you're vegan, do you want them to get punished? I don't want to punish you and they're going to get a steamed veg plate. No. You want to have some red wine braised cabbage, right? Mm-hmm. When it's the season, it's the fall. Or you want to have squash. Or you want to have something that... And then you balance it out. You want to have a complete protein. You want to have some beans and you want to have some rice and you want to have, so I can really prep for that. And then you want to have the, 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 the regular thing where somebody puts some thought into it. Like, you know, when you have for fine dining or for any dining, you want to have a crunch, a salt, a sour, a this or that. How do you build this up? A fresh aspect, a cooked aspect. So when you come in here as a vegan, and no, truth is, if you're a vegan and you walk into a restaurant that is not laid out for vegan food, it's sometimes really hard for the kitchen to, to, do, to make this happen. Like, again, have some empathy or maybe yeah. just accept me for being in the kitchen. I'm running around trying to serve 100 people. Um, so, and then you come in. And what I'm, I'm trying to say is if you have certain complications or you're like allergic to black pepper, there's a lot of seasoning going on in the kitchen yeah. that already has been done. Then also, and that, that, that is, again, like in a restaurant where the kitchen chef is so hardened on never change anything, people have very quickly jumped to say, I'm allergic to it. And, and, and I get why. I, I do totally understand why. Because you don't want to start explaining to a server why you don't want black pepper because it really is upsetting your stomach. But maybe it is if it's cooked for a long time. How is that really affecting you? Let me help you. Because if you say like no black pepper, because, you know, when I make my stocks, I put a mirepoix in there. 
and black pepper, bay leaves, cloves, yeah. spices, herbs. And, and so then you can't have that. But if you can have a little bit like a hint of that, if it's not really allergic because you maybe don't like the flavor of black pepper, because yeah, some people put black pepper yeah. on. Yeah. You could have 90% of more of what I'm going to serve you tonight. Or if you really have a, an allergy, then we, of course, all the protein are cooked all in a minute. means like when you walk in. But the vegetables, most of them have no salt and pepper in it. But whatever's already prepared, the gnocchi has salt and pepper in it was when I make the dough. The risotto's finished with salt and pepper. So get what I'm saying there? So what, what, I think the, the big things I'm picking up, the original question was how do you uh, recover a mess up, right? And I think that what I'm hearing from you is <laughs> – to be empathetic uh, that came out to prepare for all situations so like you can call an audible uh, if you messed up you can make it right um, but just to listen and to really find out exactly what the issue is with the guest but then you also uh, pointed out Danny Meyer's book when he gets into that I think it's like the four A's or the five A's is what he uses to uh, take care of a, a problem. I think the first thing is like acknowledgement. And mm-hmm. then like, I can't remember exactly what they are, but it's like acknowledge the situation, just listen, uh, and then try to make it right. Mm-hmm. It's kind of the paraphrase version of what he says. I can't mm-hmm. remember exactly how that goes, but awesome stuff. Anything else you want to add to that before we kind of move on to like how, because you mentioned that you struggled early on. Mm-hmm. Um, did it, did, at, at what point did things start to get better for you is where I want to talk about next. Well, for here, I mean, the one thing is that this is Vermont, right? So you have these off-seasons that when people come in that they open restaurants because they've been, because they've been on vacation. They come here in the on-season when, you know, Stowe and the whole Vermont is bustling and there's so many people here and everybody's making their money. And then comes November. And November is business suicide. And you also have May or April usually. It's April sort of. Also, again, if you're in a tourist town, that is very, very slow. So I learned from farmers, actually, how to run a business. Farmers have a barn. They got to fill. They have a certain amount of time to fill that barn. If the barn's not full and your basement's not full of pickling jars and all kinds of stuff for food for the winter, you're probably not going to survive it. Mm. So goes for me. For me, the barn is the bank. I need to have a certain amount of money aside that all my employees are safe. They're safe and I'm safe. You're only talking about sustainability. If I'm not sustainable, I can't be sustainable to anybody else. I can go out and be like, oh, yeah, sustainable cuisine. If I'm not sustainable, this is not going to happen. I can't pay the farmer, right? So I can't pay my employees. I can't pay taxes. They're going to close my business. So it's always so important to do all that. So in the beginning, you're struggling with that. And sometimes you need to take money, like you put it on a credit card or whatever. Those are some bad signs, okay? Credit card yeah. business. The bank is, 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 is supposed to be... Uh, yeah, they're helping you out, but the second they realize, so now banks want to give me money as much as I want. They want to give me money because now I'm, 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 I'm established. When in the beginning, yeah. you're not, but you have no more. So you're like every guest that comes in, walk out, tell five or ten of their friends, then they come in too. And that's how Michael Hill has been working. It's been busier every single year for 17 years we've been going up every single year, even 2008 when everything started going awire. So what I'm hearing from you is the better planning. You got better at planning. Um, preparing mm-hmm. for the winters and then just that consistency continuing to show mm-hmm. up and delivering excer- uh, that excellent service over time uh, if the service is there the food like the quality is there people will spread the word mm-hmm. so is it, it's just a matter of patience uh, and persistence it's patience and you just keep an open mind just, yeah. just that, stop I think that's going to be the, stop, the mantra st- yeah. of today's conversation exactly well stop thinking that your idea is the right one 
I come to Vermont and I'm going, I have a business plan and it's 12 months of the year. Well, you can take two months and just throw them out. <laughs> yeah. right? And then, so what are you going to do in those two months? Yeah, everybody's going to take some vacation. Everybody's going to do whatever it is. But in the beginning, you are going to be so slow. Yeah. So that, that, that doesn't change. That doesn't change to San Francisco. Doesn't, maybe it makes it a little easier, but also your rent is going to be skyrocketing. So yeah. every, every business has its personalities. And that's, again, like if you listen to your business, it is an organism and it tells you what it needs. It, it really tells you what it needs. It's not asking. It tells you what it needs. And if you don't give it to it... How do you listen? What things are you looking at? So, what, what, what things tell you what you need? How well, do you track well, One it? is, again, don't take yourself too seriously. Like uh, After two years or three years of struggling, you start believing you deserve something. Right? A vacation. Uh, a renovation. Um, whatever. Something that you want to pull money out that this business actually needs right now. And you need to put that money back in. That business needs your money. That doesn't, it didn't make that money for you. It made that, business, that money for the business. So now I can afford a new stove that we, we seriously need. We can afford new carpeting that we seriously need or a leaking roof or whatever it is that you need at that point. It took me 10 years to make as much money that we could actually fully renovate the interior on this restaurant. Before it was blood and sweat and tears. Take the wallpaper off, paint it, make it look, make it look nice, make it look as, as, as nice as you can. No, if you come in with a huge trust fund and you're going to blow through that and you have sterling silver right from the get-go and crystal and, and butcher blocks for table, you know, it's like, yo, I get it. But that, you're not real to me. Mm. You, you're just living a dream and yeah. hopefully you're having a really great dream. But to me, it's the ones that open a corner store and they're cooks yep. and they actually made it. Yeah, it's, and you know, you... You make a great point. I think people get in a lot of trouble because they go for their vision on day one. They have this vision of what their perfect restaurant is, and they go for it on opening day, and that's not practical. What the, what's practical, what's realistic, is having that vision, starting mm-hmm. where you can, mm-hmm. and every day putting a little bit back into the business right. to get it to that ultimate vision. It does not happen overnight. When you go for that perfection overnight, you end up taking off too more, more, more than you can bite. Right? Right. You get into debt, and it's, it's sometimes unrecoverable. So really great stuff there. Scale over time. Always invest back into the business is what I'm hearing from you. Um, and you have a really unique situation, and I just want to spend a little bit of time on this, and then we're going to start to wrap up the free-flowing portion of the conversation. You are in a unique ecosystem where you have a, a small growing period, and then you get a stretch. Mm-hmm. Like you said, you got to put the, the, the root vegetables in the basement, jar mm-hmm. them, and, and plan for the entire winter, which is a really, really unique situation for like areas like, like basically New England, mm-hmm. the Northeast. A lot of people who are trying to do farm-to-table have to deal with this challenge. Yep. So if somebody's listening to this, they're trying to do food right sustainably and they're dealing with an area that doesn't have the, you know, the, the, not like the California or Oregon that has that almost year round growing season. What's your advice for setting yourself up for success? Cause I mean, you got to put all that money up front to get all these vegetables under your roof mm-hmm. early in the season. Like that's a lot of money to put up front. Mm-hmm. So like, how do you deal with that? How do you budget for it? Like what's your plan? Right. So because the reason why I opened my own place is I wanted to run my own politics. Yeah, you got somebody, an investment firm, or you have investors in your business, and they breathe down your neck on a quarterly or even a monthly basis where they're like, oh, the food cost this month was way high. Why are you doing that? Well, because I just purchased the the entire tomato harvest, and I'm getting in hundreds (laughs) and hundreds of pounds of tomatoes that nothing I'll do with it is except pounding them down into five-gallon buckets and freeze them. Yeah. Right? So in the winter or even in the fall, I can actually pull them out. But then again, like I also buy out things that my food cost goes up because this butcher just had – they just butchered – pigs right yeah. and something fell through and i want to buy all the stuff that i can you have to do this then but this is an investment this is not money spent same as the farmer he's not doing the entire season he puts 
stuffs his barn, he stuffs his root cellar, he stuffs his stuff in there. That's all future money. And again, go look, go, go look at, you know, like setting but, the table. Future money is so much more yeah. important. But do you budget all through like the, the summer? Because the summer is your busiest from like June to like uh, August. I'm assuming September is your busy season. Are you putting money away to be able to stock up for the winter? Is that like, do you have a system that you guys use or? No, it's, it's just, you know, in the restaurant business, it's basically when you start throwing food away, that's when you lost. Yeah. You, you just lost it. You, you, you lost respect from the food itself because you just threw it out because it got bad or old. Here in Vermont, I'm still trying to find enough to actually get me through a full winter. Yeah. Like enough mushrooms that we can actually freeze or enough mushrooms that we can pickle and enough current tomatoes that the, the, the guy right next door grows for us. I mean, there's, there's so many things that, that I do in pickling jars. We just have so much pickling, five-gallon chucks of pickling where we just, you know, fiddlehead ferns come out. And then they're gone yeah. for the rest of the year. Like two they, weeks. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so I get, you know, 50, 60 pounds or even more and just pickle them. And then I pull them out to put that on the pate during the wintertime when people are like, oh, this is actually, this is cool. Or ramps. Ramps mm. come out and they go. Strawberries, they come in, they go. So this is Vermont. So you need to be prepared for that. So you got to have some freezers. You got to have some pickling. You got to have some, some jams. You just do the best you can to grow into this. I'm not a local restaurant. And I don't want to be either because I do would like to have people the choice of having a lime with your meal or having a truffle oil where it fits or even shave black truffle over something that is so delicious of why, why would I not do something like that? Yeah. But then again, what it's, what it's shaved on is wild mushrooms that are grown right here. You know what I mean? So it, it's a mixture of what, what, it, what it makes you feel like when you eat the Michaels on the Hill, when you eat a pork shank that comes from a farm that's just two hills behind here. When it is a fish that is grown and raised in, in, a, in a trout tank that is only a few miles away from here. And the French calls it terroir, right? It's, 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 it's a word. It's called, it's basically, what do you want to call it? The dirt you walk on, right? It's the <laughs> earth you are on. Yeah. And, and when you realize that, and that's where, again, happiness is enough enough. Is it enough? Is it enough ingredients on this yeah. plates right now? Michael, I'm, I'm loving this conversation. Uh, one quick question, or two more quick questions. We'll go to the speed round. Uh, any, well, the, anything that you, we haven't discussed that you were hoping we would get into, anything that's near and dear to your heart, a final message you want to get out before I ask the last question? No. Um, with business, if you look at it as being this... It, 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 it's almost kind of like... I love business because it is ice cold. It, it's either you have the money or you don't have the money. It either creates enough uh, revenue or it doesn't. If you don't have the smarts to find out where the bleeding is happening and for you to stop the bleeding or control it or, or shut it down, it means that like you're not listening hard enough. Because although this business is ice cold, it is an organism that will do, and you can see it if people look at it. See, there's people that can come in. And we've been asked to look at other people's businesses because they, we were doing some consulting as well. And most of the time it's too late because ego has kicked in to such a degree where you, if you feel like if you fail, that, that is not a possibility. You know, there is a high possibility and how do you fail? And, and for that is you really need to open up and then listen to people that have failed. And for me is there is so much love out there. Like I have so much love in me that I want to give to people and, and I want them to love me. And, and I know love is a confusing word where it comes with a lot of like respect, accepting. Those are the real good stuff, good words. And love is usually kind of confusing. But let's call it love. I want, the love, I want to feel the love from my business to me because I gave it love. It nurtured it. I nurtured my kids to become good, 
healthy adults and they are good healthy adults and with a head on their shoulders that they can help others mm. i want to help people and the business my business now can help other people like for me like now we're dealing with a lot with uh, hunger free vermont we're dealing with a lot of things that for me children is seriously it's, it's like one of the the most important things that we have where it's it's you can judge the parents for being poor okay go ahead knock yourself out throw them in a box that's not going to fix the problem it's not going to fix it yeah but if the kid realizes that there is help out there, that if you ask for it, you will, you will receive And the kid shouldn't even ask for help. Should, there should be a refrigerator. Can you imagine having children and there's not enough food in a refrigerator? There's food insecurities. And then again, you throw, your, throw your judgments out there of why there's no food in a refrigerator. Yeah, there might be drugs involved. Okay, well, then why are there drugs involved? How do we help someone with, oh, but drugs are illegal. Oh, yeah, well, you still have the problem. The problem is still there. It's not going to yeah. go away. We can't just look away. So we have problems that how can we deal with this? And for, for a kid, a kid is not asked to be born. It just is. Yeah. And now you want to make this kid into something that that, that, that that's, person that's growing up. And that's how you stop the cycle, right? It is. You got to, I mean, I don't want to take the words out of your mouth. I don't want to butt in. But, I mean, it's just so important just to put, like you said, be open-minded. Move beyond the things that your original reactions are mm-hmm. going to be and just find a solution. Um, is that is that round off the thought in some ways yes let me finish one as a a, a little advice for every parent out there that either planning on having a child or already has one when they think like oh you know all you have to do is survive the first 18 years i well excuse me when you made a decision to have that child um you put 80 years or 90 years of life in motion okay quite a responsibility there and within the first couple of years, in the first two years, you know, you can listen to some doctors say this, some doctors say that. I believe very strongly the first two years of your life with your, your newborn child, you teach it social skills, how to suit yourself, how do you do whatever. So it's up to you to see of what we have done. But I put not my kids are now eight, one is 20, one is 22. I didn't put a 20-year-old in motion. I put 80 years in motion. My kids have to go through their entire life dealing with life, what I put in motion for them. And I, and I do, and now comes the, the gratification part. When my kids are so, and they're telling me this, like, I'm so grateful that you did this for us, that you struggled in the beginning to run a business. Both of you, mom and dad, have done this for us. We struggled. My kids were doing pots and pans in the kitchen to help me out on the weekends where our dishwasher called in sick. They were part of this. And now they're going to go out into the world knowing you are just a part you're not it. Mm. Bill Gates, sorry to say, Warren Buffett, you're just part of this. Yeah. We can listen to you and we can learn from you, but that's all you're doing. That's what they do too. They just go through life mm. as I want my kids to go through life and find happiness and find, here comes the kicker, enough. Mm. Just find yes, enough. I love it. So this is the last question I ask all my guests. The mission statement is to inspire, empower, and transform the industry. So let me ask you, how have you transformed since... Uh, the year, the early years, coming over to New York, getting really involved in your career. How have you transformed? I enjoy my America. My America is very different than from anybody else out there that says, "Listen to this podcast, listen to it." We're all Americans, um, including me. I have an American passport, so I can call nice. myself an American. Now. <laughs> um, but I am accepting that some people's America is not the same as mine. And for me to be that ignorant, to think that everybody's America is as beautiful as mine, I would like that to be one day. So you've transformed to be open-minded? I, to- I, I do. I, I'm, that's, what, that's what comes with age. I think that that's what you're supposed to do when you become older. You become more wise to, number one, learn that you don't know anything. Mm-hmm. 
and start from scratch. And that's what, you know, when you're in the kitchen, you're young, you always tell, they always tell you like, okay, what you're going to do is this. Just tell everybody, you don't know. Because if you tell them you don't know, then they're going to teach you. But if you tell them you know, then you need to prove it. I don't want to prove to anybody anything. I really don't. I want to prove to the guests that I know how to cook because I want to make you a good meal. But more, I want to be... I want to be remembered as maybe somebody that gave you an advice that maybe you were a young 20-year-old and I told you like, listen, you just filled up your gas tank and you just told me you didn't know if that's going to overdraw on your account and I'm going, so you're telling me you have no idea about your finances. Let me sit down for you for a second and just let me in on this, yeah. what America actually is. Yeah, and I love where you, that you're going here because you started talking about your children and how your responsibility is to empower them, to send them in motion for the rest of their lives and I think we should have that mentality about everybody our business touches, not just our children but our employees, our mm-hmm. guests, and to to be that influencer, to set people in motion, right? Yeah. And we have that obligation to the people we employ to set them up to leave our business and go open their mm-hmm. own business sometime. Like that's our responsibility right. to give them these tools and these resources. So I love that you wrapped up with that. And we're going to take one more break to thank our sponsors. We'll be right back to bust out a, a quick speed round. So Revel Systems is a complete POS built to help grow your expanding business. I stand by Revel and I could tell you why it's so great, but I'd rather get my man Colton Schultz, who's with Grain Junction Subs in the Craft Cave to tell you why he loves Revel. We have been working with Revel for several years, who has partnered with us to streamline our operations. We have implemented delivery management, employee management, sales reporting, kitchen display screens, and so much more. We also use Utilize mobile order takers and kitchen display systems that are extremely customizable. Nice. So if there's just one thing that you love the most about Revel Systems, what would it be? It's definitely their vast reporting abilities on the back end. We utilize a lot of the reports such as speed of service, taxes, sales reports, labor reports. It's all there to help you run your business. Beautiful. Guys, and if you're listening to this, Revel works with businesses that are looking to implement cutting-edge technology that helps increase revenue, improve efficiencies, and enhance experience of their employees and their customers. To learn more, head over to revelsystems.com slash unstoppable. All right, we're back. And the first question I have for you is, what is your it factor, a habit, a trait, a characteristic you believe most contributes to your success? (laughs) Uh, I believe in second and third chances. Ooh, what is your biggest weakness? I give people third chances. <laughs> <laughs> what is one question you ask or thing you look for during the interview process? When you're interviewing somebody else. When I interview somebody else, Building personality. Personality. What is your biggest challenge today? Currently. Finding qualified staff. How are you dealing with it? Hold on to your staff that you have as long and as possible, if possible, and give them the tools to do so. If this is more money, okay, we need more money. Money will bridge a certain amount of time, but most of the time it's, it's satisfaction. So is there something that I can do to you that maybe you want to go on a hotline, you want to be the rock star, and you feel like you've been left out and you've been put in the garmache or the pastry or you've been, you know, so what can I do to make you stay? Or why would you leave? Because if you're sensitive to your staff, you're going to realize when somebody's unhappy. Yeah, so don't focus on new employees. Focus on retaining the ones you have. Exactly. Uh, Share one code of conduct or behavior you teach your team. This is a way to be, a way to act, core value. Don't take yourself too serious. I love it. What is one uncommon standard of service you teach your team? So this is a way to go above and beyond what's expected. Hospitality. What is hospitality? 
um, it's the people think that when they own a restaurant, they go into the hospitality business. Um, hospitality is if you have friends over to your house, do you make them feel welcome or they're more a nuisance? If they're more a nuisance, please don't go into the restaurant business just because you know how to go out and eat and you have eaten in the finest places around the world does not mean you know how to run a restaurant. I was a dishwasher. I'm more qualified to run a restaurant than if you have a lot of money. Uh, every business is so different that just because you succeeded in one doesn't mean you can see it succeed in others. Um, I'm looking at myself as won the lottery, right? I prepared myself to open a restaurant, but I do win the lottery because the staff that brought me here, but do never, ever get me wrong. I wasn't the one that brought me here. Staff pushed me here. Mm. They pulled me here. And I was just being supported by everyone that ever affected me in my life yes. in any way. You know, I love that you said that because a lot of people, and when I hear this, and they say, like, I am responsible. Like, I did this on my own. I'm here because of everything that I did. And that mentality of, like, this is all me is just so narrow-minded, so closed-minded. Mm-hmm. Think about the people that influenced you and gave you the skills, the knowledge. Right. All those people, you have to give them credit. So thank you for doing that. Uh, what is one book that's a must-read to make us a better person or restaurant owner? The Old Man in the Sea. The Old Man in the Sea. I love it. What's the biggest lesson from that book? Uh no matter what, your struggles will be there. And at the end of the day, you'll find out that the struggles were nothing else, nothing less than just one big lesson for you to learn. That at the end, you'll end up with a chewed up fish on the side of your boat and old. <laughs> and you know that you've done the best you could in this lifetime. And at the end, it accumulates to nothing else but one thought. And that's, again, did I have enough? Yes. What is one thing you feel restaurateurs don't do well enough or often enough? Hospitality. Okay, I'll take that. <laughs> what is one piece of technology you've recently adopted within your four walls that has had a huge impact on communication, operations, efficiency, profitability, anything along those lines? I, I, I got to say, I think cell phones. Yeah. Yeah, um, in some ways it's the it's the roots of all evil, and at some points it's it's great if you know how to use it. I think it's discipline to not have be attached it, with all the yes. time. Yes, if you need to get a message to somebody right away, yep. if you need to communicate. There's, there's like ten different ways you can contact somebody right. or get something in front of somebody if it's if it's urgent. Right, so the internet, like the internet, like you know, the, the cell yeah. phones, and you have access to the internet. And I feel the internet is is a perfect example of of who you actually are. And almost like Google shows you who you are as much as you like it or not. It, and it's a good thing and it's a bad thing. It's so synchronized that you're only getting your news or you're only getting your stuff that you want to buy. And that scares me when all of a sudden on the side of something like Google comes up a grill just because I Googled grills, right? So, yeah. I mean, but, but at the end of the day, that technology has also given me the possibility to communicate with my farmers through text, finding out what trends are, finding out uh, calling somebody, you know what I mean? You don't have to go to the other side of the country to find out what's happening exactly. on the other side of the country anymore. Uh, okay, this is the last question. It's a doozy. Are you ready for it? Sure. If you got the news, you'd be leaving this world tomorrow. All the memories of you, your work, your restaurants would be lost with your departure, with the exception of three pieces of wisdom, three things you know to be true about your success that you could leave behind for the good of humanity and for your legacy. <laughs> what would those three things be? Oh, boy. Um... <sighs> I don't know. Uh, something. Be open minded. That's like, yeah, like, one. We're my mom I used to say, uh, but my mom did used to say that it takes a lifetime to build a reputation, it takes minutes to destroy it, but there's nothing more liberating than having none at all. Mm. Um, for that, it, it, it's, again, the, the rule of never take yourself too seriously, meaning I hope I don't take myself too seriously. I'm hope, I hope I won't be reminded or remembered. That's just one thing. So I'm going to throw a be open-minded in there because I feel like we have to. Be open-minded. And then don't take yourself too, con- too seriously. Right. That's number two. What's number three? 
just recognizing you are ignorant. Recognizing you are ignorant. You're ignorant. And, mm. and that's not a bad thing. That's just for you to go, go dabble a little bit in it I think of where you are. Yeah, and just, I think it's a good way to encourage people to be curious and to, to never stop learning mm-hmm. because you will never know everything. And I think that's when, when you stop learning, when you think you have all the answers mm-hmm. and you have enough to get by, like that's when things get bad. Uh, yes. so, so know that you don't, you don't know everything. And awesome stuff. Keep, keep learning from yes. everyone you meet. <laughs> Chef Michael, I've loved this conversation. We, uh, we wrap up every chat by calling somebody out. So who's one independent restaurant operator, somebody you admire and respect and believe would make a great guest mentor on the show? Um, when I opened Michael's on the Hill, about two years later, Eric Warnstead opened Hannah the Woods in Waterbury yes. and, and went in with the exact same mission, trying to do the, the, the local thing with just simple menu, just, you know, but just make it as fresh and as, as, as good as you possibly can. Yeah. And he's coming on the show literally in an hour in uh, 53 minutes. So we were going to get that story. Uh, I cannot wait. And I'm tempted to go even further here. I know. He's he, like you said. He came down the road, mm-hmm. right? And uh, when they moved in down the road, well, well, how did you take that situation? Did you see them as competition, or did you see that as a way to collaborate or to grow the movement? I'm just no. curious about your your perspective. Right. Of, of course, it's a competition. I mean, there's any restaurant that comes in and it's a competition. So, I, as a restaurant, it's this: I I am part of making an experience for for people to come to Vermont, to come to Stowe, to come to Waterbury. Um, and if, if, if you open a restaurant, you're making the experience better. Then these people come back and they tell mm. everybody else. It is the ones when they open the restaurants. And, and Eric once had all the tools to open a great restaurant. And we, when we walked in, then we ate there a lot of times and we still do. It, it's, it, it, it's basically you, you see somebody. It's just a certain amount of respect you have from somebody that came from a cooking experience and, and gives it a go. Yeah. And then succeeds in it. So it makes the, the, the community that I'm in stronger. It's the ones when they open restaurants where – before they even open the restaurant, you know they're not going to succeed. Yep. So they're going to take their after honeymoon. It's called a honeymoon. When you open a restaurant, everybody wants to have the newest thing. And they're going to come to you for about four or five months, six months. Until you and lost then, them. Oh, yeah. And then you lose them because, <laughs> yeah. you know, they had a bad meal and they're not going to go back because it's not consistent. And when they come in, they take business away from you and then you're never going to get that back. Yeah. Well, but I'm that's, happy, that's what happens, though. I'm happy I got that last nugget from you because what, what I got from that is – this Eric is somebody who's going to elevate the community. Right. When you elevate the community, it's good for everybody. All ships rise with the tide. Right. So to have that mentality, when when good things come, don't look at them. Don't isolate yourself from them. Uh, you know, collaborate, work with them, yeah. lift each other up, and right. have that mentality. It will serve everybody. So with that, um, what's the best way to connect with you? If we want to follow your work, maybe come join your team, uh, be learn from you, be, be mentored by you. What's the best way to connect? Well, just just go on to you know michaelsonthehill dot com. Check out our website, and on there is all the contacts you need to have, and also the story of where I came from, what we're doing, the food. Um, it's basically our whole life stories on there, where the kids are born and all this stuff. This is episode 624. Head over to restaurantunstoppable.com slash 624. I'll have a summary of today's discussion as well as a link to any tool, service, or book recommended and how to connect with Chef Michael Clody. Michael, thank you so much for taking the time to share your story, your knowledge, your mentorship. There is no questioning. You are unstoppable, even if you think you are. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks for having you. Cheers. 
All right, there we go. Another episode in the archive here at Restaurant Unstoppable. I hope you all found value. Before I let you go, I have to remind you, please sign up for the Restaurant Unstoppable email list. That is where you will never miss an episode and you get the behind the scenes of what's going on here, where I'm at, what's on my mind, and what the future of Restaurant Unstoppable looks like, and you can have an influence on that. Don't forget to connect on social media. That's slash Restaurant Unstoppable on Facebook and at Eric Cacciatore, E-R-I-C. C-A-C-C-I-A-T-O-R-E on Instagram. But the most important thing you can do to support this mission of inspiring, empowering, and transforming our industry is by sharing this sucker with anybody and everybody you know who's aspiring to be great in the industry. All right. Thank you so much for sticking around this long. Until next time, peace out.